Hello, this is Adam Gordon-Bell. Join me as I learn about building software. This is Code Recursive. It is a thing that like languages like Haskell adapt 20 features. Maybe in five years, like two of these features will become mainstream and will be ported to a JavaScript. That was Nikki Vazu. She wants to find ways to bring formal verification to mainstream programming. Today, she teaches me about refinement types. Refinement types are available in some form in several languages. Haskell with Liquid Haskell, Scala with the Refined Library, and uh, perhaps even Ruby. Nikki is an assistant professor at IMDEA Software Institute and the creator of Liquid Haskell. If you like to hear me ask simple questions to very smart people, you're going to love this interview. We talk about type systems, formal verification, SMT solvers, working with GHC and dependent types versus refinement types versus liquid types, and so much more. Super fun interview. I hope you enjoy it. Nikki Vazu, welcome to Co-Recursive. Thank you for having me. So I have a lot of questions to ask you about refinement types and, and proofs, software verifications. But I wanted to start with this quote I found on your website. It says, my goal is to make theorem proving a useful part of mainstream programming. So what does that mean to you? To me, it means that uh, when I see all this uh, theorem proving and refinement types and general verification go is that in some years some developer is going to write code and then some verification will run on the bug that will not only like detect errors but also it can be used to suggest code or to make coding easier, faster and safer. But what is important is that the developers should not know exactly what is going on in the background. Because my impression is that up to now, people, especially mainstream developers, are always scared of this formal verification and type checking and refinement types. So what is formal verification? Oh, that's a very broad research area, I assume. But the, the high-level idea is that you have a code, you have some specifications. So you start with some specifications that you have in your mind that you want mm -hmm. your code to satisfy, like uh, a program will not crash, or like the most simple one is that you will not divide something with zero. Mm -hmm. And then you find a way, like refinement types, to express these specifications formally using some syntactically formal language. And then formal verification is the process of trying to prove that the code satisfies the specifications that you wrote. Okay. And you mentioned types. So I've had a number of episodes about types before. So I had an interview, episode six, I talked to Edwin Brady about Idris. And episode 15, I talked to Stephanie Wyrick about dependent types. And episode 23, I talked about the Pi language. So listeners should definitely check those out. But just to get like some basics so that we understand, like, what is a type? What is a type? For me, a type is basically a set of uh, expressions in the language. So the language I talk when I say programming is Haskell, mm -hmm. uh, if that's okay. So for example, in Haskell, we have the type of integers 
that basically uh, express all the potential integers starting from zero, one, minus one, etc. So you group them all together and you call them integers. And then you have, for example, functions to uh, that are typed as a function from integer to integers. So you write your code and then you write the types that the code should satisfy. And then if the program satisfies this type or type check, then you know that certain errors are not going to happen. So you cannot, for example, apply an integer to an integer because the type checking performs some basic checks for you. So types are then a form of software verification? Definitely. So types give us some limited form of verification, right? So I'm trying to make sure I understand this. So if a function can only handle integers, then like the static typing of that happens during compile time in the language, it verifies that nothing's calling it with something that isn't an integer. Is that the sense in which it's... Yes. So this is like a very good example. And also what is interesting is that in what we say strong type languages like Haskell that make sure that all your types are satisfied at compile time, then the compiler can use all this information that it knows about the types to, for example, allocate proper memory when it is to run your code or like it makes sure that it knows that your code satisfies the types and then it can use this information to optimize the runtime and also to make sure that certain errors will not happen. So what then are refinement types? The standard types are like only depend on the structure of your expression. So as we said before, zero has a type int. Mm -hmm. So refinement types basically take the standard types and refine them with some logical predicates. And then we can have more refined sets that define types. So for example, like again, the standard example is division by zero. And the standard Haskell type for the divisor operator says, give me two integers and I'm going to give you back an integer. So we can go and insert logic to this type and say, give me an integer, then give me an integer that is probably different than zero, and I'm going to give you back an integer. And then if you give this refinement type to your program, and if you run like a refinement type checker and make sure that all your program satisfies this type, then you have a proof that at that time there is going to be no division by zero exception. So if I have this divide function, it takes two integers. I want to make sure the bottom one's not zero, right? The second argument. The second argument is not zero. So refinement types let you, how does refinement type solve that? So you can refine the standard types of your language with the logical predicates. And at this case, the logical predicate says that V, where V is the value that I'm refining, is different than zero. And you give this refinement to the second argument of the divisor operator. And now you have a specification for this division function. And then you run like the refinement type checking, which again, like the standard type checking set checks that all the types, the refinement now types that you write are satisfied by your program. So for the refinement type checking to pass, there needs to be a proof that for every every time you apply the divisor operator, the second argument is provably different than zero. So how I would solve this problem without refinement types, uh, right, is I would use something to sort of wrap the result and maybe put a check in place is how I'm thinking, right? So I would be like in my divide function, I would be like if the second value is zero, 
return none or something or, or some sentinel value maybe. So how is refinement types differ from that solution? Oh, so the refinement type checking happens on compile time. So like from soundness, in the sense that division with zero will never happen, these solutions are exactly the same. But your solution says that in the definition of the divisor operator, run one runtime check mm-hmm. to check that the second argument satisfies some predicate. And what refinement types do is basically at compile time trying to prove that this check always succeeds. So they basically make your program more efficient, faster, because you get rid of one runtime check. Well, that's interesting. So there can be performance ramifications because we're moving things to compile time. Exactly. And one of the standard examples that I use is basically a simplification of the heartbleed example. Mm-hmm. That basically you have a memory and you want to index it. And you need a runtime check to say that whenever you are indexing, you are only indexing the parts of the memory that you have the um, ability to index and you don't go out of memory. And this check, as you suggested with the divisor operator, could be happen at runtime with an assertion or could be lifted to the type system and give like the indexing operator a refinement type that says, that the index should always be in bounds. And then at compile time, again, a refinement type checker is trying to prove that this indexing constraint is actually satisfied. It seems like I could come up with a way to do this with normal types. So I'm thinking of wrapping them in something. So what I'm thinking is for your divide example, all I need is a type for numbers that aren't zero right? Like a natural number type or non-negative or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need a refinement of an integer. By refinement, I mean like in general, something that is, if you see types of sets, you need a subset, right? And this is what refinement types give you. They take the types and they add logical predicates to define subset of the initial type that satisfies some predicates. So what is cool is that these uh, logical predicates are expressed in a logic. Mm -hmm. And then a refinement type checker is basically using SMT solvers to decide that all this logic that you are using to refine types is actually satisfied. Where SMT solvers stands for this satisfiability modular theory. And in my work, I treat them as black boxes that I ask them questions like... Can you prove that in this case, the second argument of the device is different than zero? And hopefully the SMT solver will come back and tell me yes, and then my program would type check. So how do they do that? Let me narrow it down. What does the SMT solver do? So SMT solver, again, stands for Satisfiability Modulo Theory. Basically what they do is they take as input logic and they answer if a logic that you give them is satisfiable. This is a mathematical term, it's uh, again, like we are in formal verification, so we are using a lot of math in the back, some of which I don't even know exactly, but <laughs> like, I mean, that's a beauty, right? Is that the, there is a lot of work on SMT solvers, 
me as a user, I know how to use them. I don't know how to develop them exactly, but there is a lot of engineering work to make these things work. And again, like to briefly go back at the beginning of, the, of your first question, I mean, this is how I see it too, right? That me as a researcher in type theory, I want to build formal verification and type systems that next the user will use without exactly knowing what happens here. Mm. So this uh, SMT solver takes as input a logical predicate and checks if this is satisfiable. For example, if I tell you, like, uh, can you check if a value is greater than zero is satisfiable, it will come back to me and will tell me, yes, like, if you replace V with one, then you have one greater than zero. And so your initial formula is satisfiable. Basically, if you negate what you ask it, you can ask it, can you check if not V greater than zero is satisfiable? And this will say like, uh, no, the negation is not satisfiable. And again, going back to the field of logic, we know that the negation of a formula is not satisfiable, then this formula is valid, which means that it holds for like, so a formula has variables. So if you take, if you substitute the variables with any value, then this formula holds. So we use SMTs as a black box to ask them, like, can you prove that this formula is valid? And the SMT can say yes or no. The one usage of SMT solvers I'm familiar with is probably like a toy, but it's like Sudoku puzzles. If you give it all the rules, like, do you know these puzzles? Mm -hmm, yes. If you give it all the rules, like I have a nine here and a seven there and whatever, it will kind of infer what all the other values must be. Yes, because it finds like, I guess, assignment to the values that satisfy the constraints. So I guess there the idea is like that you take the Sudoku rules, you translate it as an expression in the logic that is satisfiable if and only if the initial Sudoku is a valid solution. And then the SMT solver will give you the assignment from the free variables to values. I mean, we do something like this in refinement types, right? You take the program, you take some specifications that you can see the specifications as like, when is the Sudoku true? Mm -hmm. And then you translate this combination of program and specification into logical formulas. And then we give them the SMT and we ask them like, is the formula valid? And if it's valid, then there are no refinement type errors. Otherwise, we say that, you know, the SMT couldn't prove that this application is correct. So maybe something is wrong with your program. So like in the example of divide by zero, if I say this has to be greater than zero, then the SMT solver has to look at all the places this is called and see if it can figure out the value of those? Kind of. <laughs> so this is like the goal of the type system. So for example, when you type check like pure Haskell or any like programming language with type code, then there is an algorithm that decides if your code type checks or not. Mm -hmm. And we call this algorithm a type system and it has some rules. So in the refinement type system, there are again some rules and this is exactly what they do. They take the specifications and the code and they basically reduce it or translate it to SMT queries. So it's not that we give to the SMT the whole thing. Mm -hmm. We take the whole thing, we apply the refinement typing rules, and this is exactly the area that I'm working on. And then this refinement type checking asks like the SMT queries. 
ask questions to check validity. If I call the divide function and I give it a, a seven, right? So I want to divide by seven as the second argument. Mm -hmm. Then it sees that seven and knows that it's decided that it fits the constraint. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it will tell you, yes, everything is good. So what if the value is passed through several layers of, of calls? Then it needs to have a type that implies that it's different than zero. So for example, I get an input from the user mm -hmm. and I transform it, I add it, I multiply it, I pass it through like various checks. And finally, at some point, I divide it by zero, right? Yeah. So all this transformation that I'm getting to the input need to have like proper types so that the end result that I pass to the divisor implies that it is different than zero. And during the process, I can, for example, add some runtime checks to make sure that the final value that I pass to the division operator is greater than zero. So for example, I take my input, I check if it is greater than 10, mm -hmm. and then I, at runtime, I make this check, and then I uh, remove nine, and then I pass it to the divisor operator. And then the, the minus operation has a proper type to satisfy that the end result is greater than zero. And the idea is this, that instead of having this runtime check at the division operator, then I have like much fewer runtime checks at the beginning of my code, where I take the input from the user for which I know nothing. And then at the beginning, I make like sufficient runtime checks to ensure that at compile time, I can prove that all the entries, all the end constraints are satisfied. And also like, that is cool because I make one runtime check at the beginning. So if my problem is to crash at some division or at some indexing, then I know it early on and not after I have done all the work at runtime. So yeah, on a runtime, on a, a value that's supplied at runtime, there's no way to get around that you need to runtime check, but the refinement types will detect this runtime check and kind of make sure that that restriction, that constraint travels via the type system to where you have the restriction in place. They will not detect the, the runtime check. It is more like by the refinement error methods that you get, maybe you will be helped to understand what the runtime check you need. It is like type checking in Haskell. Like if there is an error, you'll get a message. And then the fix is up to you to understand the message and what you need to fix. And it's the same for refinement types. You can get a refinement type error it will not tell you like add this runtime check at the beginning, but the type error will give you some information that might be help you to understand what runtime checks you need to put. So, but I'm wondering if I add a runtime check, can it detect it or do I have to tell it somehow that, oh, I've covered this condition? No, it will detect the runtime check. Can I also like feed it my own kind of assumptions? Like, don't worry. Yes. 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 So it understands, for example, if, you, if you're branching, if you have if, boolean, then alternative, else, other alternative, it will understand that the code that you run inside the then branch, like the if condition is satisfied. So you can add inside the ifs, you can add like arbitrary expressions, and then the then and the else will be checked, assuming that the condition and respectively its negation hold. I had a couple interviews about dependent types and they have some of the same use cases that will be talked about, right? Like using a list of a known length so that, uh, you know, if I take the head of it, then 
I know that its length is greater than zero, for instance. So how does refinement types compare? So this is a very complicated question because I think you can hear many different opinions on these questions. I can tell you my opinion. So the first one is that uh, basically dependent types, what they do is that they allow you to, for your type system to be more expressive. They allow you to express properties like the safe indexing, like the division by zero that standard type system don't let you do. On the other hand, what refinement types do is they refine an existing type system. So you have a type system and you add this logical predicate. You cannot change the language or the existing type system. You start from like a real thing and you refine the types. So basically you don't allow the types more expressive. On the other hand, you cut more errors. So we have this like um, rule that you take a language and you add refinement types. So every program that passes the refinement types also passes the standard type checking of the language. So dependent types make extend the type system to accept more programs, while refinement types like constrain the type system so that more programs are rejected. This is one thing. And the thing is that like all refinement type systems start from uh, an existing language and refine it. And the other like very important difference is that refinement types use an external solver. Like the most common thing is to use an SMT solver, but independent types you write the proofs yourself or you have a tactic language or you have some automation, but the proofs are things that exist in your language. While in the refinement types, the proof happens externally from the solver. So you cannot have proof terms inside refinement types, which is good and bad. The way I see it, having this external solver is good because many things are proven automatically. So the user doesn't need to prove things. There is an opinion that it is bad because trusting a refinement type system makes you trust the way that refinement types is checked and also you trust the SMT solver or whatever external solver that you use. But if, for example, you, you do approve the coke, you have like very fewer things to trust, but uh, you have like more things to prove yourself. So it seems to relate to what you were talking about, practicality and mainstream programming. Do you think that refinement types, they can be added on to like existing mainstream languages. Like you said, Haskell, I think that you even had something on your website about Ruby. Like, is this a technology that we can add like a linter type of process on top of an existing language? I do believe that. Yes. Yeah. I do have a work on refinement types for Ruby and I am like uh, actively working on Liquid Haskell, which is a refinement type checker for Haskell programs. So I think that in the Haskell community, refinement Haskell and refinement types are quite accepted because um, the Haskell users won, like have realized that types are good. So I think that if you go all like the type checking of Haskell, then spending a little bit more time in refinement typing can Liquid Haskell is not bad, but for, I don't know, for dynamic language is very difficult to persuade somebody like if you don't understand, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so th that is what I'm saying that like, this is the goal to make all this typing and refinement typing so easy that like you don't actually have to persuade somebody. So, I mean, I see it going there, but I don't know how long it will take. So tell me. How was it working with Ruby and adding refinements to it? So as I said before, I believe that this is where 
all this should go. This is where verification should go. This is where refinement should go. Because if your verification to actually have impact and become mainstream, then like it is the popular programming languages that we should target. But the problem is that um, for me, it's like much, I find it more pleasing to work in Haskell. <laughs> It is not only the programming language, it's like the community, it is that Haskell is of these languages that, like, I mean, I feel that I know category theory without knowing, without having read category theory. So it is the thing that it is challenging, it is a very nice language and it also has, like, a very enthusiastic community. So for me, Delhi, like, yeah, I, I would like to stay there and, like, collaborate maybe with people from other languages. It is a thing that like languages like Haskell adapt 20 features. Mm -hmm. Maybe in five years, like two of these features will become mainstream and will be ported to JavaScript. So hopefully verification could be one of these features that at X years will be adapted at more mainstream programming languages. I don't know if this makes sense. It does make sense. I mean, I get what you're saying. You're like, you don't want to work with JavaScript. I mean, I don't want to either, but uh, the refinement types, because they sit outside of the language, they seem like particularly well suited to some of those problems. Definitely. So what languages have some sort of support for refinement types? Like, obviously you primarily work with Liquid Haskell, but is there support in other languages that you know of? So interestingly, all this uh, started from OCaml. Yeah, so we work with Haskell, and then um, there is some work for JavaScript that I know, and we have like uh, this work that you see on my website. We have support from for uh, Ruby, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know many other languages, but this doesn't mean that they don't exist. So I know that there is like a refined library that maybe is slightly different because it's in the... For Scala. For Scala, yeah. Yes, that is true. And also for Haskell, I think, if I understand, they work differently because they use like sort of macros to do it rather than something that sits outside the language. So Scala is an interesting case. I mean, I guess this is happening in Haskell too, that uh, Scala's type system is already semi-dependent. I mean, you can express a lot of properties because you have all this subtyping, then like type checking by itself is uh, using a lot of reasoning to decide if it is like if the program type checks or not. And uh, if I have understood it correctly, type checking depends on the refinement and vice versa. So it's not such clean separated as like... um, in the literature that you say that refinement types just just refine the existing types and it is done in two separate steps, first type checking and then refinement type checking. But there is some support and a lot of automation in Scala too. Yeah, and there's some overlap. Like as you were saying with Haskell, like I think in Scala, some of these issues people take a different approach to, right? So like taking the head of an empty list, I mean, the default solution to that, I think, is that either people will use something that uses some sort of option type, or maybe you'd use like a non-empty list, wherein the list cannot, you know, it always has at least one element. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you're adding refinement types to these languages with such rich type systems that some of the scenarios can be covered in different ways. But again, so I think like the alternative of option types, 
again, like every time you, you want to access it, you need to basically open it. So you're spending a lot of time, a lot of runtime on it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And again, like non-empty list, again, you need to, to check it. Basically, it is the concept behind refinement types is like perform the most checks you can at compile time and using an SMT solver as a black box that is there to do a lot of reasoning for you. But the other point is that, uh, I mean, it's not exactly a coincidence that I work, I, like I am extending Haskell with refinement types because uh, first of all, like, I mean, Haskell is pure. I don't know if I need to explain. It doesn't have side effects. Yeah. You can easily map a Haskell program into this SMT logic that we said before without having to deal about side effects. So I don't have to reason about memory. I don't have to do a lot of reasoning. And the mapping to logic, it's much easier. Mm. That's the one thing, like that these strongly typed languages offer like a very nice background so that you add logic on top of it. And then as I said before, it's like... Haskell has a group of people that already like all this mathy logic type system that it is easier like to try and experiment with refinement types too. They're eager for it where when you go to Ruby and they're like, we don't even want static typing at all. Why would we want refinements to static typing? Yeah, that's true. If you need to persuade somebody to use types, then it's much more difficult to persuade using refinement types. So a previous guest I had, uh, John DeGose, he said that he thought dependent types were very challenging to use for like a, a programmer, a professional programmer, not somebody like an academic like you, and that refinement types were like more approachable. Do you agree with that? So refinement types are awesome, specifically when your program is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, again, from the beginning, you're writing your program, you have some specifications in your mind, and you write down the specifications. And there are two points you can make an error. You can either have an error in your program, you can have an error in the specifications that you wrote, or you can have nothing. So most of the times, because there is this automation, if both the program and the specification is correct, and because we use this SMT solver, it's like everything works perfectly. Now, if there is an error, it is much more or less like standard type checking. So you'll get an error, you'll get a location, but then like how you go from there to fixing the type of the specification, it's not a very easy task. So I think like that uh, for me, refinement types are definitely easier than dependent types because there is a lot of automation and you don't need, in most of the cases, you don't need to explicitly prove things. But it is a little bit more difficult than uh, type checking, uh, strongly typed language like Haskell, for example. Yeah, because you're putting these predicates right into your type. Yeah, and because the, like, the type checking algorithm on the back is a little bit more difficult. So like basically error reporting is the process of trying to explain to a human why the algorithm failed. Mm. And the more difficult the algorithm is, the more messy the error message is because it's it is trying to like abstract from everything that it did and explain you what went wrong i think like that to make refinement types even more approachable error reporting is a way to go and the other thing that we have mentioned is uh, i guess already many times is to give like more motivation so we said how refinement types can be used to speed up your code but this is like Again, like you can do that manually. 
But if, for example, the refinement would, the compiler would see refinement types and use this information to speed up your code by removing runtime checks, then I think that this would be a very good motivation for people to use such systems. The compiler, you lost me there because I thought the compiler isn't aware of these refinements because they're sitting outside. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it is not aware. But what I said is that one future direction is... Uh, for the compiler to know the refinement types and use these types to optimize runtimes or memory of the code. Like for instance, if your integer is always greater than zero, then maybe memory doesn't need to be as large because it's actually just a positive value. It would take up half as much space or something. Or at least, yes. I don't know how ints are represented in memory, but some less amount of space. Something like that. Yeah, but we can stay in the present. <laughs> so... The other thing that I said I found on the Liquid Haskell website is something mentioning proving laws by writing code. So what does that mean and why would I want to do that? Okay, so I think that the why would you want to do that is uh, easier. So we can start from that. The laws are basically some uh, properties that... Uh, class methods satisfy. For example, when you have monoid, you can say that it is associative. And you can use these properties, first of all, to reason why your code is correct. And also maybe you could use these properties to, again, optimize your code. For example, a a common uh, optimization is, I think, map fusion that is actually expressed in one of uh, Haskell class laws. So the question why prove this is functional correctness, that your function is doing more or less what you have in your mind. And second, maybe you want to use like manually or even compiler optimization that use these laws. Yes. If you have like a type class and it says like, okay, this operation needs to be associative. So like you can apply it one way or the other. Like right now, at least in Scala, like that might be a comment or something that somebody puts in. But you're saying we could use refinement types to actually express that as as a verifiable statement? Mm-hmm. And is that statement in the refinement code comments or where does it live? Like what does it look like? Basically what we do, this is like, uh, I think it's been one year since we added this feature in Liquid Haskell, is um, we use Haskell functions that return just a unit value and refine them with a logical predicate to express theorems like that uh, the list append is associative. And the way we do it is we say like, okay, I'm going to define a function that, for example, take as input a list x's, a list y's, and a list z's, and returns Haskell unit value And this unit value is refined in my refinement logic to satisfy associativity of the input x's, y's, and z's. So we say x's append to parentheses y's and z's is equal to parentheses x's uh, append y's, parentheses z's. So we use Haskell functions that return unit usually because like these functions are never going to be used at runtime. We don't care. And we refine them to express theorems about their inputs and other Haskell functions. And we do this because, for example, append associativity is not a property the SMT prover can automatically prove. But to prove this, we need like to tell 
to the prover, some information about how the functions that we want to prove properties about behave. So for example, to prove associativity, basically the proof is like an um, intactic proof. It has a base case. It has an intactive case that is using the intactive hypothesis. And all these things about like induction, we don't want to ask the SMTs to prove them automatically. So we use like some Haskell functions to provide some of this, like the structure of the intactive proof and uh, some information that the SMT doesn't know. And then again, like we give all this information to the SMT and um, we let them like figure out the details and conclude the proof. So in short, we use refined Haskell types to express theorems about functions. And then the body of this function basically provides uh, a template for the proof of the theorem. And combined with SMT and the theory of refinement types, we prove these theorems. I know that um, because I've done a, a bunch of episodes about types, that I have some listeners who are interested in like proofs and how they relate to types. Is liquid Haskell and refinement types a way that you would recommend to approach learning about proofs? Or is it more a side effect of its implementation? You mean about uh, formal proofs? Yeah. Is liquid Haskell a tool that people could use to learn about formal proofs? Yes, actually, my last Haskell paper was named Theory Proving for All. And in this paper, we basically claim that, especially if you know Haskell, and then it's very easy to learn using Liquid Haskell how to express formal reasoning and proving formally properties about your Haskell program. But again, like as we already mentioned, Haskell and logic are very close. Mm -hmm. Actually, they are just like, and error, like the only thing that exists in Haskell and does not exist in logic is this uh, error at the invergence. If you exclude that, then basically you can treat Haskell as your logic and there develop proofs, like the standard inductive proofs about math properties. What was the thing you said is missing? So what exists in Haskell and there doesn't exist in the logic is divergence. Mm-hmm and runtime errors. So these are the only two effects that Haskell have. You can create diverging programs and then you can crash, you can give an error. And so actually when uh, we use liquid Haskell to type proofs, we make sure that these two effects are excluded. So again, as I said, you can use refinement Haskell functions to express theorems and then the proof is basically a Haskell function and liquid Haskell will check that this Haskell function cannot diverge and cannot throw an error. So you can express this associativity property that takes three arguments and returns unit refined to satisfy associativity. And you could develop a proof that basically says, give me three inputs and I'm going to return error. Error satisfies every type. Mm. So like this would be a valid proof. So this is why we need to exclude errors. And also it's the same for divergence. Like in Haskell, we use a lot this undefined. Normally we use it to say, I'm going to define it later. Mm -hmm. And the type of undefined is A for all A's, which in the refinement types translates like for every refinement. And its definition says basically undefined is equal to undefined. So divergent, again, like satisfies all types, it satisfies all theorems. So if you combine error and divergence, you cannot have like a theorem prover, 
a formal tool that gives mathematical proofs. But liquid Haskell like excludes, like it's, it's having a termination checker, it's having a totality checker, and it checks that your proofs are actually mathematical proofs. So yeah, no error and no underscore for undefined. So you mentioned totality checking. Back when I interviewed uh, Stephanie Weirich, I asked her if there should be mainstream programming languages that do like totality checking. So why does Liquid Haskell bring that to the table? Why we have the totality checker? Yeah, and how is that useful? How is it useful, in fact, in terms of not just proofs, but how is it useful in terms of verifying your code is performing correctly? Verification. What is totality checking? What's a total function? So a total function is basically a function that we said before, a mathematical function, right? It cannot diverge. It doesn't call error. And all the cases are complete. Like it is defined for all its inputs. The example we used of taking the head of a list, that is not total. Yeah, this is where I was going, right? (laughs) That uh, I'm writing a module after some calls, I am calling head, right? And usually, like, it's a very natural specification to say that head is called on non-empty lists. But the question is, like, how did this specification came from? And checking that all your functions are total is basically what is giving you the specifications that are propagated. So head is not a total function because it's not defined for empty lists. But for example, you can use refinements to say that the input of head is a list whose length is always greater than zero, for example. And then the specification will be propagated. And this is how the totality checking lets us do better verification, right? Because it is tracking the like potentially sources of error. And then for the proofs that we were talking about, totality is also required? Yes, because for example, then you could define an inductive proof without a base case or without an inductive case. So if I was not checking totality, I could have a, the associativity proof only defined for the base case. And the thing that precludes me from that is that um, I need to check that is defined for all potential inputs, both for empty lists and for non-empty lists. The other thing, what about infinite loops? What if I just write something that loops forever and claims to return something but never returns? So that is a very interesting question. <laughs> yeah, so um, you could reason about that, and I think that Um, many formal systems reason about infinite loops as long as they are... uh... So I think infinite loops are good if they are what we call productive. So they may diverge, they may never finish, but they should always produce something. Like refinement types, maybe I should talk about liquid types, liquid Haskell, uh, are using this uh, SMT, so we map Haskell to logic, mm-hmm. and in logic, nothing diverge. The easiest thing is just to like make sure that you don't have infinite loops. So what liquid Haskell is doing is that it is checking that all your code is not diverging. And if it cannot prove that, it will tell you, oh, you know, like this function, I cannot prove that it terminates. So maybe something will go wrong in your logic. I mean, in practice, definitely divergence is something that we want for real programs. 
You can formally reason about that, but it is difficult. So yeah, we talked a lot about the refinement types and where they're useful and stuff. So, but you know, your project is liquid Haskell. So usually before I interview somebody, if they have like a, a paper or whatever, I'd like print it out. Your, uh, I guess it's your dissertation. It was too big. I didn't print it out. It's like 248 pages. <laughs> yeah, it is like a bunch of liquid Haskell papers all together. So how big is the liquid Haskell code base? How long did it take to construct? And how big of a project is this? So... It's a big project. It's been some years now. It is my first and only project of my PhD. Uh, we just started uh, 2011. So I guess like, I think it started 2012 or something like this. And I have to say that liquid types existed for Ocaml mm -hmm. at the beginning. And when I joined uh, my PhD, my supervisor, Ranzitella, was at the point that he was porting liquid types from Ocaml to Haskell and this is where we started and it's like it's been how many 80 years now and we're still on that that's awesome but that's the thing like the Haskell community is so good that it accepts like everything and I mean I think if we stayed in Ocaml maybe we wouldn't continue that I don't know yeah you're getting uptake from the community which is awesome yeah so do you have to I'm doing an interview soon about building like a compiler. So like, do you have to like do compiler type stuff in Liquid Haskell, like build an AST and like somehow feed it to the solver? Does it end up having components like that? Yes, we have a compiler, we have an AST, but we have an AST only for types. So again, like what Liquid Type, Liquid Haskell is doing mostly, it has a lot of weird engineering, but it takes uh, Haskell code, some refinement types, and reduces this to SMT solver language and then if the SMT solver finds that something is not valid it takes it maps back the result so we have an AST for the types and what is really cool is that we are using the AST for expressions we are using GHC's AST oh. and this like reduces a lot of work because uh, instead of parsing the code we compile it with GHC GHC is doing a bunch of simplifications and then we ask GHC give me the AST of the program that you compile. And what is amazing is that um, the intermediate language of GHC is, I think, like seven alternatives. So it has variables, literals, case, and like in total, like mm. I think you have seven cases, which simplifies a lot the analysis of Haskell programs. And the cool thing is that if you ask GHC, it gives you this very short intermediate representation and you analyze this, then you can target the whole Haskell. So all this class syntax that you write, all these guards, everything reduces to this very tiny intermediate representation. That's very cool. Yeah, because it's such a large language with all the extensions and stuff. If you had to build your own like tokenizer and all this stuff, it would be a lot, right? It has like GHC has this... API that you can use and you can call it and you can ask it questions. Very. That sounds like that would make your project a lot easier or that it does. Yes, it, it does because like you can definitely rest assured that you target the whole Haskell. It's not that there is a hidden like syntax or something that you haven't thought about. Like you really don't care what the user writes. As long as you can analyze this small intermediate language, you're fine. So do you think that other people should be trying to build verification tools that sit outside of the language? Like maybe not refinement types, but just in general, like 
I don't know, a tool to validate that my team's JavaScript doesn't hit certain conditions. Is that something that is underexplored in, in the world of professional software development? So I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. Is it like if we should use verification or if it should be like part of the language or external to the language? My question is sort of like, should people try to build verification tools on their own, like professional software developers to kind of try to verify code? Should I try to build a verification tool that sits outside my language? Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> and I think actually they are doing it. So I know Facebook has a tool called Infer, right? Especially the big companies are moving towards verification. I mean, even the fact that you're using it, like people are using in production languages like Haskell or Scala or this, like safer language means that people do care about verification and they are willing to invest maybe more time to learn to understand like a, a complicated but safer language. So I think, yeah, that adding verification in industrial products is definitely something that it can happen. And I think that we are going there. I mean, you will spend a lot of time writing tests anyways, right? So I don't know if it is a small step to going from all these specifications and the tests like that you have in your mind into actual verification, but this is our goal for, I guess, the more academics to make it be, be a small step from the tests to actual verification. A test only, like, it can only check for the absence of a problem, right? It checks one specific case. What you're talking about is, is verifying, like, for all inputs, right? Yes. So the, the power yes. is there. It is. <laughs> well, I think that's all my questions, Nikki. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? No, just thank you very much for this interview. Awesome. It's been great fun. Thank you. That was the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I think it ties in with some of the conversations we've been having on this show's Slack channel about dependent types and constraint propagation and type level programming. If you have any feedback, let me know. Someone named Autotopism gave a great review on iTunes and Uncarved Bitmap gave a great shout out on Twitter. Mark Weiss, the host of Using Reflection, also wrote a great review of the podcast and my coworker Elliot mentioned the show on Twitter. So thank you so much, everybody. I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of other people. Podcasting is a somewhat solitary endeavor and my enthusiasm for podcasting kind of lives and dies by the little dopamine rush I get every time someone leaves an iTunes review or mentions me on Twitter or, or LinkedIn or when I get a Google alert saying that somebody mentioned me on some list of uh, podcasts. So I really appreciate it, everybody. Thank you very much. Until next time, take care.